Welcome, welcome to Guys Telling Stories. Guys Telling Stories. Bill, thank you. Oh, you forgot. Oh, that's all right. Welcome to another episode, everybody. Here we go. Here we are. Yeah, I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. I'm Sean. Hey, Sean, how you doing over there? I'm doing okay. For all those right. of you who can't see us, which is everybody, Sean's at the end of the table. <laughs> Took a seat. He's doing well. He's doing well. well. To our new listeners, or if you're new to the show, thanks for tuning in. And to everybody else, welcome back. Mm-hmm. All right, we have a fantastic guest today, Bill. Pretty excited about uh, Rory. I'm excited about Rory. Yeah, but guys, before we get into that, we just want to say thank you so much for all the support and for helping us out online. We have our Amazon link, and if you click on that before you go shopping, we get a cut of that. Something else. But we have something new to announce, too. Ooh. So we have a new Amazon offer. It's called the Prime Music, Bill. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. So basically how this works is if you head to our website, guystellingstories.com, and click on the Prime Music button, you get a free 30-day trial. Sweet. So you're probably wondering, what is Prime Music? It's the only music streaming service with free two-day shipping. What that means is you have Amazon Prime included in your music subscription. This is unlimited on-demand streaming of music, Bill. No ads. You got no ads. You got unlimited skips. You can even download the music and save it to your phone if you're going to be somewhere without Wi-Fi, like uh, taking a commuter train or uh, being on an airplane. Cool. Yeah, so head to our website, guystellingstories.com, and click on the Prime Music button and give it a shot. All right, let's get to our Try at Home segment. This is a segment where, guys, we feature products on our website underneath the Try at Home tab, and these products are ones we love and use. Yes, by no means are we sponsored by these products. These are actual products that me and Rich have in our houses that we have purchased on Amazon, and we are encouraging you to check them out if you're interested. And if you do, do we get a cut of that. Exactly. All right, Bill, what do you got for a Try at Home today? Well, you know, it's going to get cold soon, Rich and Sean, and we have the... For a Keurig, if you're a Keurig owner, they are called Crazy Cups. It's crazy, crazy flavors. What makes them so crazy? Well, I'll give you some examples of their flavors. They have salted caramel, pretty normal now. Everyone's doing that. Pumpkin vanilla cream. There's frosted oatmeal cookie. There's a cinnamon churro and a bunch of other ones. It's just different kinds of flavors. It's not the traditional vanilla or chocolate or whatever. And, and they're good. Yeah, so it's like a variety pack of these amazing K-Cup flavors. Yep, and they ship for free. Yep. So check those out on our website underneath the Try at Home tab. Sean? I got a new product I've been using uh, uh, for a while now, but I love it. Figured I'd mention it. It's called the Buckshot. It's a portable speaker, and it comes with an attachment that lets you uh, secure the speaker to your bicycle. You can secure it to... Uh, the top of your canopy if you're uh, tenting, and it just blasts sound. It's very small, it's very rugged, it's water resistant, and it's durable. You could drop it, and if you wanted to throw it, you could throw it, and you could uh, attach it to just about anything. So I've taken it on bicycle trips, and you're cruising along, you know, 30 mile bike rides, and you got music enjoyment the whole time. So it's Bluetooth uh, connectivity uh, capable. And it's got a battery life of about 8 to 10 hours. That sounds great. You guys know I always love carrying around a Bluetooth speaker. You never know when you need some good tunes. So, guys, if you like the sound of Sean's a Buckshot Bluetooth speaker or Bill's Crazy Cups for the Keurig machine, head to our website underneath the Try at Home tab. These are amazing products. And if you like what you see, click our link and we'll get a cut of that. So for all you new listeners out there, uh, we want to say thank you, you know, Rich, Bill, and I. Um, Guys Telling Stories is a storytelling podcast where Rich and Bill, and sometimes me, we uh, interview intriguing uh, guests with very, very interesting stories about uh, success, failure, and how to make it in this crazy thing we called life. So we got a new episode coming out every Tuesday just about with some fun short story specials in between. So uh, thanks again for listening. Yeah, thanks for reminding everybody, Sean, what the podcast is all about, because we've had some entertainers, some athletes recently, and we have an amazing guest today. Rory Karf is a filmmaker. He's a director. He's probably done every single job you can imagine on set. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't know him, you know him. I know him. He has been involved with 
ESPN NASCAR stories with the the Dale Earnhardt one that mm-hmm. we were Dale. talking about before. It's just called Dale, right? Yeah, yeah. He he's been involved with inside the NFL. I think he has a thirty for thirty coming out that we're all pretty excited about with uh, Ric Flair in the future. But the one that a lot of people are probably tuning in for right now is the Evolution of Punk, the story of CM Punk getting ready for his first UFC fight. Pretty cool. Yeah, he puts out some high-quality work. I think he had a, a documentary about the Manning brothers. Yep. Uh, the book, Manning family. Ma- Manning family, of Book of Manning. Yeah. Dad, Mom. Yeah, he is a super creative guy. I know these ones. He's like an Emmy Award-winning guy. Mm-hmm. He uh, He's gonna, probably going to have stories for days. So I'm excited to talk to him. Let's give Roy a call. Great. Perfect. Roy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for coming on, Roy. Yeah, you know, we were following your career, and I know you have some new things that are coming out. By the time this airs, a lot of people are going to be watching a couple of those episodes of Evolution of Punk, and I know you have some other projects in the works, but we always like to take our guests, you know, back to the beginning. But before we do, where can people kind of keep up with you on social media, your website, all that? Uh, Yeah, my Twitter is at Rory Karf, uh, spelled, last name spelled K-A-R. He is in puke. F is in <laughs> art. I don't know. That's uh, a very weird last name. And uh, my website's RoryCarf.com, or you could also go to FirstRowFilms.com, all spelled out. You know, your, your list of credentials, the projects you've done, you know, you've kind of like woven your way through all these different types of worlds. You know, but I was curious if we could start way back in the beginning. You got a, like a lighthearted story about a kid that just likes to tell some stories, maybe something from grade school, high school, college, you know, like were you that kid always carrying around a camera or, were, you know, mom and dad involved in, uh, in storytelling? You know, how'd you get your start? I mean, I was not that kid. I was a kid who... Got in a lot of trouble growing up. Um, nice. <laughs> it was, I almost didn't graduate high school. I got suspended for starting a massive food fight the last day of school. <laughs> uh, I was never I was never really doing anything criminal, but I was always kind of antagonizing the teachers and speaking out. And I, I kind of always Im- imagined doing stuff in front of the camera. I started doing stand-up comedy when I was 15 years old going to open mic nights, uh, a teacher would uh, would take me there and uh, would drive me because <clears throat> my parents wouldn't take me at the time. <laughs> so I was getting a, a teacher to take me, and he and I struck up a friendship and would probably never be allowed today that I was just driving around this guy's car and he was picking me up and taking me, you know, all throughout Philadelphia to do stand-up. But we stayed in touch, and in fact, um, he came out recently this past week on a shoot with me for the Dana White looking for a fight show. He was kind of a uh, production assistant on the shoot and we were in Sturgis and it was, we had a great time. That's great. Yeah. So much fun. So yeah, I mean, I was always uh, kind of a creative kid and I I didn't do very well with a lot of structure and rules and and whatnot. And um, I I never, I, I had a TV show in high school, but I was more in front of the camera uh, they had a TV production studio, and I don't know. It was just a total spaz. <laughs> well, you know, a- you shouldn't get in trouble for starting that food fight. On the last day of school, I've, i, I got to imagine there's so many people that have done something like that. They make you clean it up. Maybe they make you come in during, like, final exams or, you know, you yeah. get, like, a detention. But, well, like- what, happened, what happened was I, Bill, you know, Billy Madison, the, I, I was obsessed with that movie, and this was, like, when Adam Sandler was – very popular. So I had done kind of like my impression of uh, Billy Madison getting into a fight with a French fry. (laughs) We're like, we're rolling around on the ground and I'm running in the trash cans and everyone's cheering and I get carted, I get carted out of cafeteria by teachers. And then people started, the whole cafeteria was chanting my name and uh, it it made its way to the in-school suspension classroom, what I had done, and one of the kids punched the in-school suspension teacher in the face because he wanted to to go to the cafeteria to see what was going on. So what happened was the the police were called to school because it was an assault. And when the police came to school, they caught two kids smoking weed in the parking lot <laughs> and then arrested those kids. And so it was this big chain reaction. 
And they were trying to get me for inciting a riot um, at school versus just having this comedic display. And I, I remember being in the principal's office with my mom and she just thought I was this like, I don't know if she thought I was like some kind of hooligan or just a total like misfit, but she had said like, well, you know, I have no idea what Rory plans on doing after he graduates high school. And I remember mom's like, well, he's going to college. He, <laughs> he was actually on your honor roll. So uh, I, I kind of did, I used to do well without putting a whole lot of effort in, in uh, the, uh, the academics, but um, yeah. So anyway, so you're a I good student, people. and you got good relationships with the teachers. I was going to say at first, like just it's not- one teacher, okay. just one. <laughs> Every other teacher hated me uh, beyond belief, and I really, really was a pain in the ass. I mean, when I look back on some of the things I did, in fact, most of the time now, if somebody reaches out to me on Facebook or someone that I went to school with, it's usually I'm just doing a lot of apologizing. Uh, I'm just so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Did you go to like the reunion and just apologize to everybody? <laughs> I haven't been able to go to the reunion. I, I've wanted to, they've had a couple, but, um, you know, I'm on the road a lot and I have a, I have a family with young kids. So, and I don't live where I grew up. How, so, how old are uh, you? When did, when did uh, this 30, happen? I'm 38. Okay. So this is, we're talking over 20 years ago now. Yeah. Those stories though are, are just like, awesome to hear because you know you you were wrestling a french fry you know like like come on guys like you weren't inciting a riot i'm sure uh it sounds like based on your age like rage against the machine might have been popular back then but (laughs) yes yes no exactly i was a huge rage against the machine fan and uh no nobody i think would say well man that is going to have a future and be successful in fact i had an internship in college at mtv and i got fired from it Oh, I mean, it's really hard to be fired when you're working for free. I love, so. I love, I love getting fired stories. So yeah. if, if you don't mind, I mean, you're, you somehow like, you know, just transition away from high school. You get this respectable internship at MTV and then <laughs> I get a, I get a job at MTV working at the MTV beach house. Oh, so nice. in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. And this was like a dream, you know, for any college kid. And they had me on casting. I was, they basically moved the interns around in different departments. And I was with the casting department where I was helping the person get people to dance on the fake beach they had at the beach house, like in the background. Yeah. Very attractive people. So uh, I had a Polaroid camera back at the time. You know, this is before iPhones. And I got in trouble because I was take, they said I was taking too many pictures of people, meaning anyone who came up, I would take their picture. Um, and the guy, I remember specifically telling me, only take attractive people's pictures. So I'm like, well, what am I supposed to say when other people come up? I'm supposed to say no. <laughs> so I tried that. For like, I tried that for like a day. And I felt awful about myself. And I was like, I can't do this, you know? And there was no better way to meet girls. And then I got moved into, I'm not even exaggerating, the uh, custodial department as the intern. Oh. And I'm literally cleaning like porta potties for free. And I remember the person in charge of interns said, Well, you're getting paid with college credit. So. Uh, you know, it was, it was actually, it was a horrible work atmosphere. Uh, if you were lower down on the totem pole, an intern or a production assistant. And I actually just in the last year saw someone that worked at MTV at that time who was like a producer and uh, I recognized him and, you know, I don't think he remembered me, but he had told me that (laughs) after they, they kind of had to get rid of their entire internship program and start from the ground up. Uh, over there, but yeah, it was bad. I mouthed off to somebody because I was like, I was like breaking every union rule. I was like carrying stage equipment <laughs> and, and, uh, I don't know. Um, it just didn't work. It's one of those work. stories where it's like, they're just abusing you because you are an intern and I don't know about you, but you know, it, did you have like a little problem with authority? Like, come on, man, I don't want to clean these porta potties. So. It wasn't, it wasn't the authority. It's like, I'll give you an example of something that happened. Uh, Carson Daly was there, and he was a very, very nice guy. He talked to every intern, and we ate with them. And and uh, Busta Rhymes and his guys were there, and Carson wanted to get a pickup basketball game going. So he got some of the interns to play. And we were just having a, a basketball game. And I think 
it got like pretty physical, you know, with those guys. Oh, yeah. One of someone in Buster Rhymes posse got upset and I don't know, but it led to them having this huge meeting and our intern boss told us we were under strict instructions to no longer talk to the VJs. And she actually said, do not make eye contact with them. (laughs) And I thought that was just like a myth. I'm like, who would actually say this to another human being? But they instructed us to not make uh, eye contact. And that was not from the VJs. The VJs were all the, they were the nicest people, you know? So, uh, it, it was just a, just not a very good atmosphere. But what happened was, when I got fired, I called uh, the Conan, o- Conan O'Brien internship program when he was at NBC. And I had been trying to become an intern there for like two years and couldn't. Right. And I just begged the guy. I was like, look, let me just come on one day a week. I go, there's got to be something I could do. And he let me uh, come there one day a week. And that led to two days a week. And then they let me intern there my whole winter break and then my spring break. And that was a great experience. And they treated the people uh, much nicer yeah. there. Were you? Uh, was that part of the page program that I've heard so much about? No, the page program was a way above that. Okay. Page program. I got rejected for that. I applied, uh, and I was not qualified to make uh, eight dollars an hour <laughs> and take people take people on the the, the tours that they gave. But yeah. yeah, no, this was just a strict internship program. But it was a really cool program because they really let you involved in different stages of production. And Andy Richter uh, was very nice. I actually showed him my reel and he called my house afterwards and went over it with me. And And uh, the, the production staff, the producers, they just, uh, at the end of the day, they just treated each other nicely, you know? Um, so it was a really cool experience. Yeah, that's good. That like, a, like, I don't know, like a sour experience, like the one with MTV didn't sort of like spoil everything for you, you know, moving forward. So were you kind of dedicated to this path? Did you know at an early age? I mean, I know you said you did the, uh, the, the stand-up comedy as well, but I mean, did you know you wanted to get into filmmaking? No, I still really didn't um, know that. I got a job out of college at NFL Films, which uh, was in New Jersey, which was near where I grew up. And I did not do well there at all my first year. <laughs> I mean, more more I, more shenanigans again. <laughs> more, more shenanigans. More shenanigans. Oh, I uh, I just I don't know. You know, I'm not. They they take themselves very seriously there, and I guess I'm somebody who's more about taking your work seriously, but not yourself that seriously. I like that. that yeah. And so, uh, but what had happened was they got a new head of production. And me and this guy really hit it off. And the old head of production, I tried showing some of my comedy videos and different things. And he kind of just like, he didn't want anything to do with them. He just thought like, you know, stupid and do your job. And which is kind of what you would think they would do. But my new boss there, this guy named Jim Jordan, he told me that he, people said to him that I was the single worst producer in the entire department. What does that even so. mean? You know, I, when, when people use that superlative, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, like, what does that mean? Why would they well, say Well, I was very lazy, uh, not detail-oriented, and um, lacked focus and discipline, and I, I really was terrible. I, I don't think it was a stretch, to be honest with you. Um, I, lo- I love hearing this right now because we always take that, like, inspirational path towards the end, and you would probably say this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you are like not the person to ask about that path for <laughs> well, be- I, becoming I don't know. a filmmaker. I, I, think, you know? I think what I would say that, you know, there's a couple of things like I knew I always, I always had ambition. I just didn't, I just didn't at the time have ambition to be a filmmaker, Okay, but I had ambition to be successful. I just uh, didn't know how to do it. So when I, I think in life you need some people that become your mentor or just believe in you on a certain level. And when I found that, uh, you know, first in high school with my production teacher, but then the head of production in NFL, what happened was they were like a player's coach where I didn't want to disappoint them. Yeah. So I started becoming more successful and becoming good at my job uh, because of uh, their support. So I think, you know, you do need those people to, you know, you can't do it alone. And also there's not one right path, you know? That- yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. It's not like your story is, you know, like 
any bit different than anybody else. You know, you take some missteps here or there, but it's just, I'm loving the lighter comical side where you're admitting like, oh man, I just wasn't focused at first or, you know what I mean? Like this one guy said this about me. So, you know, it's, uh, it makes for like really good story because, you know, people can laugh and go, oh, I was there too. You know, I, so when you, when you kind of like begin to take that first step, was it, was it because someone's encouraging you? You mentioned, you know, players coach, you wanted to sort of impress and, uh, you know, get that approval from someone where, like, where were you when that was happening? What like project were you working on? Uh, I mean, I was probably about 23 years old and I was an employee at the NFL and you work on different shows all the time. And they had a show called inside the NFL. Oh yeah. And we would do at NFL films. We would cut, uh, edit the games uh, and write the scripts. And I just tried every, every week that, find some other kind of nuance and you know as crazy as it sounds people weren't really utilizing the internet <laughs> back then that much i mean this is like 2000 you know and i would try to find facts about the game or different things and put in and just again i just started taking more pride in my work and even i started this even back in college to just to, um, no matter what I was doing, to try to do a, uh, a better job of it. I started. I didn't really know how to do it in college. Yeah. But um, I started, no matter what the assignment was, no matter what I, whether I wanted to do it or not, um, even logging, I just started to understand what it was to work with, try to be excellent at something. So you're, you're making your way down a career path as a filmmaker, taking these steps, which would seem to be pretty more... Um, basically just taking better care of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Where was the point where you're, this is what you're going to do and there's no turning back? Hmm. Well, I mean, it took a couple of years, you know, I was, I was still doing some side projects. Uh, I had a, I was really into like fitness uh, at the time in my twenties. I had a fitness radio show I hosted and I was really into that. And Steve Sable came on my show. And oh, cool. it's kind of a local show. And so I, I didn't know whether I wanted to do that. And then I came, the director of the Dale Earnhardt movie for NASCAR. What, what happened was my, my friend I was telling you about became the head of production for NASCAR and called me up and asked me if I wanted to work on the Dale Earnhardt movie. And um, I started out as just kind of a more of a lower level producer and then kind of became the director by default because I could edit. And I started editing on the rough cuts. And they had brought in some other people like from L.A. And they just weren't vibing. It was a, it was a big documentary on Dale Earnhardt, the deceased race car driver. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I, I liked being the director. <laughs> um, I liked being a part of a film and taking it from a beginning, middle, and end. So that's kind of where it started for me. And at the time, NASCAR was very popular. And because of the success of Dale Earnhardt, uh, I got to work on other big NASCAR projects mm -hmm. that eventually led to a 30 for 30 on this uh, race car driver named Tim Richmond. So, um, you know, it kind of just happened organically. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people out there are probably curious to hear about the life of a filmmaker. When you say a project or like a film, do you know how long you're going to be working on that project? Like if you're given the title, for example, of editor, director, producer, like is it six months and you know, hey, I'm busy for six? Or is it like, hey, this could go on for two years? Well, it's different now. Uh, it depends on the project. So I'm working on a 30 for 30 film on Ric Flair and they weren't sure on the air date. The only thing I was sure about is when the rough cut is due. Okay. And then based off of the rough cutter, their scheduling, they decide on when they want the final film to air. So that one kind of has been getting moved around depending on scheduling. And then there's some other projects, you know, I'm starting, been doing a lot more series work where, you know, they have a very specific deadline of when things are due and you know how long you're going to work on a certain project. But like you mentioned the CM Punk series at the beginning, that was predicated on when he was going to fight. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure people would love to hear some behind the scenes. You know, you're probably the coolest behind the scenes guy we've talked to because 
you're just in these different worlds, NASCAR, NFL, WWE, UFC. So, you yeah. know, in, in terms of working behind the scenes, maybe we could talk about shooting, you know, with, uh, with uh, CM Punk, whatever you think uh, would be something that would be interesting to hear about. Yeah, so with, with CM Punk, I just tried to, I tried to form a relationship with the people and be genuine. And, you know, he was very into it when we were first filming because he had just started training. Okay. And I tried to be understanding of his time. And this isn't like a reality show where we're with him like 12 hours a day. And so I tried, you know, if we were filming with he and his wife, you know, we're filming for like an hour, you know, and then we would leave. Okay. So he's very into um, me being respectful of his time and not pushing the boundaries, especially early on. And, um, you know, he's... Uh, he's a pretty cool guy. You know, he's a moody guy, though. And I think he would tell you that himself. And especially when he was hurt, I think he was like almost just wanting to be done with having cameras show up. Yeah. So, you know, I just had to explain, you know, we took like a break, you know, we, would t- we weren't filming nonstop. We would take a little break because he wasn't training anymore and he was hurt. And then, you know, we kind of resumed things and, uh, you know, he would, he would perk up again and it's just a process, you know, it's, it's give and take and being respectful with people. And, uh, same with Dana White, you know, we film a lot with Dana and same with Snoop Dogg. I've been (laughs) fortunate enough to film with him and we're about to start on our third series together. So, I know, I laugh a little because it's like you got Snoop Dogg, Dana White, and Sam Punk all in the same breath, and uh, that's what I meant. They're all, they're, all, they're all actually share similar qualities. You know, people have asked what these guys are like, and, you know, they eat successful people. I mean, Dana White, self-made, uber successful human being. Same with Snoop Dogg, self-made guy, and I, I've worked a lot with... Not a lot, but I have worked with Rob Lowe on the I Hate Christian Leitner film. And, you know, people would chuckle when I say, yeah, Rob Lowe and Snoop Dogg have similar qualities. But they, <laughs> yeah. they really do. Um, their work ethic is just unmatched. They oh, yeah. never stop grinding. Both those guys. And also the way they treat people. I've witnessed the way they treat fans. And, you know, look, everybody has bad days. But, I mean, <laughs> Dana White, I, I've never seen this guy not be friendly uh, to someone who comes up to him. doesn't matter who they are. Uh, he could be in the middle of something. He could be on the phone. He could be literally watching a fight, and he makes time for, for the people. And there's definitely something to learn from that because I'm not always that way if I'm in the middle of something and someone comes up and they're like, what are you doing? And kind of maybe gets in the way or something. And, you know, I watched it with Snoop too. He's just very, very gracious with people. Um, so... You know, I just try to be respectful and come from the heart and and also make FaceTime with people. You know, when they see that you're around, they see that you're working hard, I think you can get their respect. No, absolutely, man. Now, what's take, take us through what it's like to, you know, the creative control process. You get to, you know, be there in real time, experience and direct. And then, uh, you know, editing, you kind of control what the viewer sees. You know, talk about that process a little bit because, you know, it's, it seems pretty interesting and, in, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's usually a collaboration and uh, I'm not, I'm not, I try not to be too precious with like, oh man, I'm a artist and this is my vision and, you know, obviously I have a vision and, but if you want to work with networks and big people, you've got to give and take sometimes. So you know, for for the CM Punk series, it was really dealing with UFC and uh, Fox Sports, and they were both really good. I mean, they gave good notes and good insight, and really let me pick the direction where I wanted to. I mean, you'll see uh, with the CM Punk series that it's a non-traditional format. There's no talking heads. There's no narration. It's all kind of through his perspective. Cinema Verite and uh, the UFC let me run with that, so they were they were they were really cool to work with and really good. And Dana's really easy to work with. I'm looking for a fight. He's awesome. And you know ESPN, they're very very note heavy. Uh, ESPN film. Uh, they give 
pages and pages and pages of notes. And, and, some, and some directors can't deal with that. They have a hard time. Yeah. And they, they push me a lot. I mean, I, uh, I've submitted a cut for Ric Flair. And, I mean, <clears throat> you know, they, they really dissected this thing. And they want it, they want it to go to great. And even if we have disputes, I try to see their point of view on things mm-hmm. and then meet in the middle. So um, kind of figure things out and still make a good film and keep my integrity, but at the same time uh, be pleasing. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. For, that was a good question, Sean, because like, you know, you hear about some of these people, they go on like Jimmy Fallon, they say, oh, you know, like, yeah, I got this uh, series coming out on Netflix. They just, uh, they just said, do what you want. You know, and like you never hear that. And then you hear like you, you actually have kind of like a, a scale to go. You know, when you're working with ESPN, it's kind of like this. UFC, you know, it's kind of like this. And I don't know. It's kind of interesting to hear that. Yeah. For, I mean, I have my own company, my own production company. So people think sometimes when we talk, like you said, you know, I just make stuff and they put it on. And you always have somebody to answer to you in life. I mean, always. Yeah. If you don't have a boss at a nine to five, you still have clients. So, you know, my clients are ESPN or or UFC or, or right now Netflix is one that's coming up. And, you know, it's my job to be pleasing to them. It's not the, the opposite. They're the ones that are paying for the series. And I, I read an interview with Martin Scorsese and he was making Hugo and he said the studio gave him pages and pages of notes so here's Martin Scorsese, you know. He's like, come on, I'm Martin Scorsese. <laughs> right, he's one of the most accomplished filmmakers of all time, and he's still getting feedback from the studio. But, you know, from their point of view, they're the ones putting up $80 million. So I think they should have some kind of say in how things go, you know, or how things might appeal to a broader audience. So, you know, if people are coming at it from the right uh, attitude, like if they just want to make it as good as possible – you know, there's things that can be subjective where you can fall into trouble is if you're making a film or a project and people are giving opinions because they think somebody looks bad in it or it's uh, marketing people or PR people or those things where it's not necessarily about making the greatest product possible. It's uh, maybe ulterior motives. So that's where you really have to give and take and um, – Sounds like you, know, you kind of got to balance your ego a little bit. Uh, you got to, you know, know your self-worth, but also be willing to, you know, play ball, you know? Well, I think everything that we do in this business is relationship-driven. So, you know, I know when I hire people, I like to hire the best people. But more importantly, I like to hire people that I like. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to be on the road with somebody, the last thing I want to be when I'm away from my family, my wife and kids is to be – around you know like a, a douchebag <laughs> you know i just don't feel like yeah, that and i've not worked with people because of that or hired them again because they're just a pain for me anyway to be around so i'd rather if somebody does a nine out of ten but is the very easy to get along with versus somebody that does a 10 out of 10 and is a huge pain and difficult i'm going to pick the nine out of ten for me some people aren't like that so uh, i think getting along is a huge Thing. And I, I, that goes back to that Dale Earnhardt film. Um, prior to me directing, they've been tr- they had tried to make a Dale Earnhardt film. The biggest impetus to that was his wife, Teresa. They could just not – she could not see eye to eye with people. And she has pulled projects at the, you know, the, the final hour and tried different things. So um, – I I did my best to get along with her, and right when she watched the first cut, uh, she was gave me a lot of notes and feedback. And then I saw her the next day. And I remember she was like, "You know, Rory, um, I thought she was going to say I was a little hard on you, but she was like, I think this film needs a lot of work. You are way off." <laughs> <laughs> so I I uh, I told her like, "Hey, look, you know, you're you're his wife, and you know him." better than anyone and i want you to be proud of the project and not just look at it like it's a financial thing like this is something to show your grandkids so and then we formed a you know uh, like a good working relationship and to the point where if she had something i think that i didn't agree with i could tell her 
and she respected my opinion and she felt that I was listening to her opinion. And at the end of the day, people just want to be heard. You know, yeah, you want yeah, to man. feel like your opinion matters. So, uh, you know, to answer your original question, yeah, it's, you got to put your ego aside sometimes and not be like, Oh, I'm the, I'm the precious filmmaker. I'm an artist. And you can <laughs> yeah. think those things in your head, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you do, I, my opinion is, uh, it pays to get along with people and it pays to see other people's perspective when you can. Nice. Well, we're getting to that portion of the interview. We always like to ask about like a challenge or an obstacle, but I got to say like you have so many impressive stories and, you know, pieces that you could talk about. So, I mean, you could take it anywhere you want, like go way back, maybe some of the more recent stuff you're working on now, but was there a challenge you had to overcome that is a good story to tell and you kind of like learned a lesson from it? Hmm. Well, I think one of the projects that I'm pretty uh, proud of is the book of Manning. On yeah, the Manning yeah. And yeah, so I definitely, we encountered some challenges on that. Uh, Archie Manning stopped production twice. You know, and, <laughs> Why? And, <laughs> Come on, yeah, man. Yeah. And I mean, one of the times we were already filming interviews and and I'd already gotten paid by ESPN and I remember calling him and telling him that, and he was like, sorry, sorry, Corey, I can't help you. He thought my name was Corey for like three years. <laughs> He's calling you Corey. And, for <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I sent an impassioned plea to uh, his wife, Olivia, who's a, such a sweet person, and she kind of convinced him to do it. And, um, you know, it was going really well, and it, there, were, there were a lot of issues on, uh, at the end on that one. Uh, you know, I got some feedback from uh, Peyton Manning and about certain things that maybe he didn't like. And this is like in the middle of like Broncos training camp. I'm like, he's watching a rough cut. <laughs> and so he can do you know, everything. Like, yeah, he's, he, yeah, he never I mean, sleeps. That guy never yeah. sleeps. Yeah. Right, right. And, you know, Archie was, uh, you know, he was really cool and he called me and, you know, I was got kind of scared because it was a list of a lot of things that he wanted taken out. And, you know, so it was just dealing with that. And then, uh, there's a whole there's a whole thing with the narrator John Goodman, where I made a huge mistake. <laughs> um, oh yeah, let's hear about that one. <laughs> well, I made I made a mistake like without getting into too much detail uh, with something legally that I didn't know about. Not like not not um, like with criminal or yeah, anything. like, like uh, contractually or something. Exactly contractually with the way they set up the contracts and. I, I made I really upset some of the people at ESPN without meaning to, and uh, it looked like there was no way John Goodman was going to be able to narrate the film. Then it looked like they might have to take the film off the schedule, and luckily uh, John Goodman made some calls and elected to forego some money and some things just because he wanted to do the project and really saved my ass. And when I saw him at the narration, we recorded in New Orleans. Like I'd never met the guy or talked to him before. He walked in and I hugged him. He must have thought I was a lunatic. <laughs> That's awesome. He's, yeah. like, he's, he's like, uh, yeah, I haven't him all the he's time. He's like, uh, Corey, why are you hugging me? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Damn it, Archie. <laughs> he's a very well. This is I'm hugging John Goodman. Right? No, no, I was yeah. making a joke. Like he, uh, he yeah, never yeah. met yeah, you. No, like, I hear you. So yeah, 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 yeah. I'm hugging, I'm hugging Goodman, and you know, he's like, oh, 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 oh you know, like patting me on the head, saying, you know. He was he was very nice and same with uh, same with Archie. You know, he at the premiere he was like Corey. Your name's not Corey, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. And, uh, oh, but there's a lot of to actually get that film on the air. I went through a lot of uh, speed bumps, and that was really the first major production um, for my production company. So I really wanted it to go well. And, you know, man, you gotta, you can't get too high with the highs and you can't get too low with the lows. Yeah, right on. I mean, that film was like one of the highest rated. I know everyone is probably familiar with the book of Manning and, uh, it's, it's just cool that it, like you said, it wasn't all just like smooth sailing. It actually was a lot of hard work and a couple of hiccups along the way too. Well, I saw an interview with Steven Spielberg recently, not comparing myself to Steven Spielberg, but he said, uh, he's never had one film where it's been easy, never once. So 
I try to, you know, I think that's true. And, um, and going back to another thing with Sylvester Stallone, I remember he said that when he was filming Rocky five, it was the easiest, smoothest process, but probably by far the worst film. Yeah. And he was talking about how, when they made Creed, how difficult it was for him to be that character and what he put himself through. And in my opinion, that was a great film. So I think, you know, these things last forever, hopefully, and hopefully you touch, move, and inspire, and it shouldn't be easy, and there are going to be hiccups. I get worried when it when it does go too smooth, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a real catch-22. You, you don't, you know, wish for the hard days, but you always end up learning something from them, you know, and you kind of wish for the easy days, but then, like you said, you know, you might not end up with the, the best product, you know, if everything goes so smooth. So it's a, it's a weird balance there. Definitely. And, you know, sometimes you think something is a bad thing and it turns out to become a good thing. So what are you working on right now? Yeah, looking ahead to current business, you know, like uh, what's uh, something that's currently exciting you? Uh, well, we have the uh, Ric Flair 30 for 30. Um, we have the Dana White Looking for a Fight series, which is currently on YouTube. And hopefully it was announced it was announced by Dana that it's going to go to Netflix, which would be really cool. Um, we're doing a film on Jerry Jones uh, and his relationship with Jimmy Johnson called Before We Were Cowboys, which is a really cool project. And there's a couple of things that are really close that by the time this airs might be finalized. But uh, two series I'm really excited about that um, I'm really hoping come through. So one of them is not sports so that'd be really cool and you know i'm fortunate there's a lot of a lot of good stuff yeah you and you said you're doing a third series with uh with snoop yes yeah that's uh be another season of coach snoop and we're right now just trying to finalize where it's going to air so that that one could be really cool too you know, if you don't mind just talking about that for a second, he developed a different type of relationship with you than I think people realize in the sense that you're not like following him around while he's putting on a concert or following him around while he's like smoking weed. It's uh, it's like him and his like his son, him and his family. You know what I mean? Right. You know, he I was so excited to work with him and I had heard that he could be difficult, you know, like um, but we did this series about his family. And we really bonded, you know, he felt like, um, you know, we showed him in a, in a good light. And look, whenever you're around and you're doing something on someone's kid, you have an opportunity to be closer. Sure. You know, it's, you know, Snoop and his music is one thing. That's like his business or it might be his passion, but it's not the same as his family, you know. So right. when you're with someone's family, you know, you, you get to know them. So he was really happy with how that turned out. Then we did this thing on his football league, which was like his second family. He started uh, his own youth football league called the SYFL, which has been really successful, um, has put players in the NFL and basically was a league for kids in the inner city of Los Angeles to play football for free where they didn't have any dues or whatnot. And he started like 15 years ago. So we did a series that was on AOL and um, he, I don't know, we just get along well and work well together and... I seem to be able to work around his schedule and he, he trusts, you know, the biggest thing is trust because uh, we ended the series uh, kind of out of order on how the certain things went. And if you watch it, it's on AOL right now. We, we end the season. I, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I guess I will. They lose their final game. Yeah. And at first he was not cool with that, but I explained it to him, and he he said, "You know what? I trust you. If you think it's the right decision, go for it." Yeah, and I thought that was really cool, and I don't take that for granted at all. And you know, he's uh, he's been really nice to my kids. You know, my my son has a YouTube show, and he's interviewed Snoop on it a couple of times. He does like uh-huh. man on man on the street interviews, and 
it's uh it's called the cooper johnson news if you want to check it out and uh snoop's been really good to him he tweets it out and everything yeah so. i think you saw a picture on your uh, yeah your it was twitter on feed. uh on your twitter feed and what a cool like thing to do with with your son just you know he's you know i asked you in the start of the interview like oh hey you know like family influences and you know he got, he gets to say oh yeah me and my dad had a youtube channel when i was growing up uh maybe you heard of it i interviewed snoop dog <laughs> <laughs> right right I'm awesome. looking no, at- for sure i like it you know i i, sh- I shoot the camera for him and it looks kind of orders me around and tells me what to do yeah we, we're so, pull, we pulled it up now yeah uh, at least it's still shot from the twitter looks like your son's got some of that same ambition or drive yeah. you know just uh, by the looks of that picture he's kind of <laughs> like you know i don't know he's got some hair yeah. <laughs> yeah he does have a nice head of hair that's for sure <laughs> yeah oh man well you know Roy, this has been uh, pretty great and amazing. And as, as we sort of like uh, right off into the sunset, we always like to ask about, you know, any advice or final thoughts. And a lot of times people, you know, after they reflect on their stories, can at least offer up something. Is there is there anything that comes to mind to you? Maybe not somebody that necessarily wants to get into filmmaking, but somebody just uh, starting out on their on their path to whatever they want to do. You know, what advice would you give to them? You know, I actually do have people reaching out to me pretty regularly asking advice I, I try to get back to them you know but a lot of times they're asking for a job you know oh, okay but, um, so my my advice is kind of threefold I would say you know a lot of people are like I'm doing I'm doing X but what I really want to do is Y you know like I'm I'm working at Starbucks but I want to do this my thing is wherever you're working currently you need to try to kick ass in that job and do it so well that people are going to notice you, you know, um, yeah, that's good think, especially in production. Cause the last thing that I want to be dealing with, I know when I'm on a set is a production assistant that wants to be producing or a gaffer that wants to be directing. You know, I want the gaffer to be a gaffer and I want the production assistant to just be a production assistant and help me out. And when they're doing that and they're excellent at it, it makes me want to keep rehiring that person. And it makes me want to keep working with that person, especially when they're easy to deal with and there's no drama and they just do their job well. And then when I form a relationship with them and they tell me what their more of their ambition is, I'm more interested in trying to help that person reach their goals. The other thing I would say is there's never been a better time than right now um, to be a, a doer. You know, the world responds to people that do things. So if you want to write, write scripts, get final drafts, start writing. You know, if you want to do direct, I mean, make stuff on your phone and put it on YouTube. I mean, you don't have to wait for someone to give you permission to do anything. So, you know, you might not get a producing job or directing job or writing job, but you can still do all these things and you gain experience by doing those things and then putting your work out there. So there's websites where you can put your screenplay out and people will give you feedback on it. Yeah. You just have to be willing to do the work. And you've got to be willing to do the work if you really love it where there's no end in sight. You know, you could literally be doing this and not make a living. And then you'll know if you really love it. Like if you can't live without it, and I think that you should definitely follow your passion and your pursuits and i would say it's a it's a great you know i love my job i feel so lucky to have my job and you know i so i would encourage people to follow their passion but make sure you're ready to work really hard and to you know work well with others <laughs> i hear that no yeah, absolutely yeah no this has been uh this has been pretty pretty great i mean the the beginning started out so light and it was funny but like you said it like you know, for the people that are listening, they go, man, I just want to, I want to be like this guy. I want to do what he's doing. You know, it just, just start doing it. And also too, you know, a lot of times people reach out to strangers, you know, and I read once in a book that you have your own inner circle, whether you realize it or not. So, um, I think it's good to work with your friends and your family if you get along with them, you know, because those are the people that are going to be in your corner. So it's good to have a good team around rather than reaching out to a, a stranger on the Internet. I think looking what the resources you have right in front of you, you'd be surprised sometimes um, that, you know, you, you might have some some real allies. 
that makes any sense. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at somebody like an asset and a, and a resource and say, hey, you want to want to go on this journey with me? I mean, it's uh, you'd be surprised. They'd probably be like, absolutely. Road trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, let's pack our bags and Everybody go. responds really well like to hard work. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant and you know, your, your wait staff person is just killing it. Like they're so on top of things and they're so, they take so much pride in their work. You notice that you respond to that. And I think that's in any, any profession, whatever you're doing, whether it's a school teacher or even a police officer, um, people respond to passion, you know, they can't deny it. And I think, you know, like Dana White or Snoop or, Rob Lowe or even CM Punk, you know, they see that I'm passionate about this stuff, that I care, I give a shit. I want this to be great. So I think then they become, they get on the journey with you. you know, they're cool. like, wow, this guy cares as much as I do, maybe more. So, um, you know, I, I would say to your listeners, um, definitely follow your passion. Oh, awesome. Great advice. Yeah, this has been great. And, and, and guys, we're going to kind of close it out right now, but check out uh, Evolution of Punk. It should be airing right now. And, you know, Rory mentioned a few of his future projects, you know, look for looking for a fight on Netflix coming soon. And then uh, Nature Boy is uh, is coming soon as well. So, Rory, Rory, this has been great for people that want to follow you on social media. Uh, if you could plug that one more time, where's the best place and uh, and where are you at? Uh, you know, check out on Twitter at Rory Carf and my website is RoryCarf.com, R-O-R-Y-A-A-R-P-F. And my son's YouTube channel is the Cooper Johnson News. He thinks our last name is super lame, so he calls his <laughs> last name Johnson. Oh, that's awesome. I, I saw that on there. It's like, easier to spell. I was like, oh, man, maybe that's his middle name or something. But <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he thinks our last name's stupid. And uh, I pretty much agree with them. So kudos to him. Uh, uh, that's well, great. Well, guys, this has been another uh, amazing episode of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. And producer Sean. All right. Till next time. See ya. All right. Rory Carf, guys. Rory, what, man, what a guy. What's, I love those stories. Those were some those stories, yeah. Yeah, you he, he had me laughing in the beginning, too, with the uh, French fry story. About getting uh, almost getting kicked out of high school. That was pretty good. We didn't talk about the uh, Christian Leitner. He directed I Hate Christian Leitner, which is, um, you know, 30 for 30. And those of you that are in our area um, obviously know who he is. He hit that uh, buzzer beater in uh, 92 <laughs> to beat Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. We definitely got to get uh, Roy back on the show. Maybe a short story special is in order for a couple of I Hate Christian Leitner stories, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get him back on. I want to give you a compliment, Sean, too. You were chiming in there. You had that creative control question. That was a pretty good one. Yeah, man. This guy is just so interesting and you know, unique path in life to create you know, such success for himself. So I'm definitely a huge fan of Roy Karp. And as always, guys, uh, head over to guystellingstories.com and really just explore the website. It's, it's cool. It's interactive. We got a lot of things to check out. We got support the show. We got our Amazon links. Get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime Music. Uh, a lot of different things to check out. You know, uh, support the show. Try at home. Just really explore the website. And uh, thanks for listening, as always. Yeah, and please, if you haven't already, if you're new to the show, don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, you can leave us a review and rate over on the iTunes page. All right, guys. Until next time, I'm Rich Douglas. I'm Bill Easton. Sean.